Hello, this is Jeff Vanderstelt, Executive Director of Saturate and the host of the Saturate podcast. Saturate exists to serve and equip leaders to start and strengthen unified gospel city movements that lead to gospel saturation. To the end that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to meet Jesus through his church on mission everywhere and every day. Now, we believe this is going to require, as Jesus prayed in John 17, that we have a church that's unified in the region, working around five key initiatives that we find in Acts 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul worked out, which is citywide prayer, leader health, disciple-making disciples, serving the city together, and starting new churches and new kingdom initiatives. Presently, we're in the middle of talking about serving the city. And I am so excited because I have a very good friend and an amazing woman here with me. Her name is Allison Martin. And Allison is a foster adoptive mom and also the director of missional communities at Doxa Church in Redmond. She also has a huge heart for foster care and loves finding ways to see the Big C Church get involved in this particular initiative. Allison, I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, you're so welcome. I'm, I can't wait for people to hear your story and to hear your heart. And um, for those of you who don't know Allison, she's the real deal. Uh, she's the same person everywhere and loves people deeply and loves Jesus so much. And so she's a great encouragement to me and a great inspiration to so many people and a great leader, really a great leader at Doxa. Uh, so Allison, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your role at Doxa Church? All right. Yeah, I am married to Brian. He is an elder at Doxa, I, but by vocation, he works at Microsoft as a software developer. And I am a mom to three active children. I have identical twins. They are 10, year old, 10 years old. Their names are Evan and Kieran. And then I have my seven-year-old daughter, Evangeline. We call her Ava. And we did adopt her out of foster care. And then, yeah, I, like you said, I oversee missional communities at DOXA, and I play an active role in our foster care ministry. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you are you are an amazing woman. I don't know how you are such a great mom and do all the rest of the stuff that you do, but uh, uh, you you have a ton of energy. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, you know, most people would, if they don't know Allison personally, would never know that you also are pretty handy. You can. <gasps> You, you you can tear things apart in a house and rebuild them quite effectively. I like a good project. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so if you I want like a remodeling to... job done, just call Allison. <laughs> That's right. My, it's my side hustle. <laughs> it's your side hustle. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, tell us a little bit more about how you ended up working more specifically in foster care. I know there, there's quite a story behind that for you and we'd love to hear about it. Yeah. So my husband, Brian, and I, we knew we wanted to grow our family, but due to things like we had a few years struggle with infertility, we had a really complicated pregnancy with our twin boys. And then after that, we had a intense two-month NICU experience with them. So after all that, we just felt the desire for biological kids was removed from us which was actually kind of a blessing because we always knew that whether we fostered or adopted, uh, we, we wanted that to be our plan A. So we started exploring different options and then very hesitantly landed on foster care. 
Um, and I, I say hesitantly because really neither one of us were super excited or passionate about about it. I mean, we wanted to care for children. We cared about the foster care crisis and wanted to be a part of helping, but not necessarily to the extent of opening our home. Because, um, you know, the fact is that foster care is really, really messy. And when you sign up for it, you are voluntarily signing up to see some really dark things. You know, we're talking abuse, neglect, addiction, not to mention tons of appointments and visitations and the state being all up in your business. Um, <laughs> there's a, yeah, yeah there's it's a lot. Hard. It is. There's so yeah. much that goes into it. And then all the while, you know, you're dealing with this little child who has experienced great loss and trauma. So yeah, we were kind of like, who wants to invite that into their lives? I mean, some people do like some people they're like, yeah, they hear all that chaos and they say, sign me up. But that just was not our story. We were less, yes, God, we trust you and want, want to do something in this space. And we were more like, God, I have no idea what you want us to do. So we'll just take one small step at a time and we'll see if or when you close this door. Um, so yeah, that's what we did. Instead of fixating on the overall craziness of what all foster care is and entails, we instead just kept our focus on one little step at a time. So things like go to a foster parent info session, fine. You can do that. Like fill out the pre-application. All right. Go through the parent training that the state of Washington offers. I mean, I'm never going to use any of those tips, but sure, I can I can go through that. The home study, super intrusive, but you know, we're just focused on the home study right now. So we we got through that. And so, you know, we took all those steps, then we got licensed, and then we started getting the placement calls. And that's where this whole thing was humanized. Mm -hmm. So like we started seeing the actual names and stories to, to these kids. And I won't, I won't share my daughter's story, but I can share some other things that like came across the table as we were getting the, the placement calls. So like when you hear things like this baby was left in the car for six hours while birth mom was at the bar and wow. this toddler wow. yeah it's intense you know it's like there um were it was a toddler and they had a sibling as well they were found malnourished and hospitalized because the parents overdosed and didn't feed them for for two days so they had to be hospitalized um they're oh that's so heartbreaking i know yeah it is and but like when you start hearing the stories like that, the chaos and the sacrifice of my own personal comfort starts to seem way, way more worth it. And so like that's, that's what did it for us. It wasn't really until that time when we started getting the calls that we were like, okay, this is, this is what God has, has called us to. So so we did it. And yeah, we got, we got the call for our daughter. And even that, it wasn't like, a, oh, yes, this is the, the daughter the Lord has put in our lives. No, it was like, I don't know, the, sure, like this, this child needs a parent. Let's just trust God with this next step. So, so we said yes. And he was faithful that our, 
that he aligned our hearts with his eventually. And I mean, that's like how calling works sometimes, you know, it's, it's, I think I well, at least I, I will speak for myself. I always assumed that if there's a calling on my life that I'm actually going to want to do it, but that's just not always the case. And, um, so yeah, it, like if I'm honest, I'll, I'll admit at, at the beginning, no, I did not want to be a foster parent, but God was faithful and aligned our hearts with his. And, you know, he was just so generous and, and, you know, we can talk about it later, but there is just so much unexpected blessing and heart change that happened throughout it. And I would have missed out on all of it had I listened to the fear and, and just not, not proceeded with becoming mm. a foster parent. I want to stop there a sec. Cause you just said yeah. some really important stuff. Like one, you, you made the statement, that's how calling works. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, like, like, do you want to, and then, then you said like, we don't always want, you know, necessarily the thing God calls us to. And then third, there's real fear around it too. Mm -hmm. And I just, first of all, I love all of that because that's real. And I think yeah. sadly far too many Christians, I think have over fantasized calling to to like, well, it'll be amazing. And it's going right. to be everything I've always wanted. <laughs> and a lot of times God calls you to the things that are really, really hard and, yeah. and, um, oftentimes painful and, mm -hmm. and there's real fear. Um, yeah. you know, and so I, I just appreciate you humanizing that. I think people need to hear that. It's yeah. really good. Yeah. 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 It's true. I know I was Jonah. For sure. Mm. You know, and like we see Jesus struggle with his calling too, like yes. begging the father to take this cup from me. Yeah. And so like we have, like he, he relates to that. He understands that he doesn't condemn us for that. That's right. And I think if we just lean into that and ask the Lord for his strength, he can, he can get us through. And mm -hmm. yeah, but I think, yeah, often we're, we're just looking for us to want to do it and just remain disconnected from what God is calling us to do. And oftentimes it is just trusting in him and doing the hard thing. Yeah. yeah. I also love that how you described how you ended up getting there, which was basically one step at a time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's just realistic. And it's also really helpful. Like I, I, I would just encourage anybody that's listening and wrestling through something God's putting in your life or putting in front of you right now to realize that God doesn't expect you to figure it all out. He just right. wants to guide you one step at a time. Yeah. I love that. So Amen. good. Hmm. Yeah. I know. I think we're used to going th through things on our own strength. And I mean, that's that was such a huge lesson in this that like my meager strength cannot get me through this, but, yeah. but he's faithful and righteous and shows up and takes you through and brings all these unexpected blessings along the way and produces character. <laughs> he sure does. Yeah. So that's how you end up with Ava, right? Yes. And how, tell us more about how, how that experience started to shape you and Brian's involvement in the greater narrative of foster care and I mean, there's just so much that you guys have been a part of and like, yeah. how did, how, how did that one? Cause that's, that's a, it feels like a huge step, but it was little steps all along the way mm -hmm. to get you to there. And then what happened after that? What God definitely expanded your heart and opened some doors and gave you lots of opportunities. Tell us more yeah. about that. 
He did. So one of just the amazing blessings of bringing Ava home was the incredible support we had of our church community, specifically our missional community. I mean, we had Ava for four years before we finally got to adopt her. And there were wow. a lot. Yeah, it was. That's a long journey. It is. And it's sadly not uncommon. Um, a lot of you'll find a lot of foster parents in Washington. It really varies state by state, but they'll you'll find people who have their placement for four years before permanency is finally reached. And so our RMC walked with us through every moment. But I mean, between being licensed to getting Ava placed with us to her entire four-year case. They were there for us for every moment, every high, every low, and there were many highs and lows. And we just never felt alone. We always felt like we had this great support system. And uh, there was even, you know, one of the worst parts during our time as foster parents was uh, a judge ordered for Ava to be put into a really unsafe situation. Um, and that was just completely devastating. But we weren't alone in our devastation. Our MC was there to cry with us. I mean, there was literally one night where we all just sat around and cried and prayed. And no one tried to throw, you know, annoying platitudes at us or anything. They just sat with us mm. in, in the grief. And that was just really powerful for us. And so... During our time uh, as foster parents to Ava, we went to a really big foster care conference two years in a row. And it was fantastic. They had great speakers, great teachers. But the thing we noticed was that we kept hearing story after story of foster families feeling completely alone, isolated. Um, a lot of them, even within their own church communities, had no support. In fact, a lot of them felt um, just sort of ostracized because, you know, sometimes you have kids with big behaviors uh, gossiped about. And it was just really sad to see all these people who felt really alone in their foster journey. So that just ignited a passion in, in both Brian and I that like, whoa, we've never experienced this and we don't want to see this for other foster families. So it did ignite a passion and in, in seeing DOXA care not only about foster kids, but the families who are parenting these foster kids, the birth families who are trying to seek reunification with, with their children. Um, wherever someone's role might be, we just wanted to see the people of DOXA care and to serve and to just build awareness about foster care. Yeah, you guys did such a great job of taking that experience um, and then calling others into it. I think one, one of the things I really wanted to make sure people heard from this particular story is a couple of things. One, you already said, and that is that, that you weren't alone. Like I, I think when churches, when churches think about how are we going to make an impact in our city, the, the best way to do it is to do it in community. When, mm -hmm. when people are all on their own trying to do this, trying to be on mission or serve a city or serve a situation or step into a messy place, they're never going to do well if they're by themselves because eventually they're going to need that support around them. And you guys had that. What, what I loved about that part of the story is then, then you said, how do we make sure others get what we got? And, you know, one of the key principles throughout all of scripture is that we are blessed to be a blessing or that we give what we've received. So we comfort with the comfort we've received. And so you guys 
got to receive something and then you got to take that and give it away. So how did you start to help others step into this space? I know you, and we'll start with Doxa. Like how, how did you bring Doxa more into serving these particular needs? Yeah, it started out really much like our foster care journey. It started out small, Mm. just one little step at a time. I think the very first foster initiative we ever did was it was a really simple Christmas gift drive. And we said, hey, bring, we were super general about it. We were like, bring gifts in for kids in foster care. And we, tons of stuff came in. I think there, there was a huge group of us in there for over a weekend, just trying to do the infant inventory and like separate things. So it was actually helpful to bring to the DCYF office, but it just showed us, wow, our people cared. Like we did almost nothing. We just said like, Hey, bring in gifts for kids in foster care. And they showed up really generously. So we wanted to pay attention to that. And then after that, we started developing a relationship with the community engagement coordinator out of DCYF. And when I say DCYF, that's like the government foster care office in Washington. It stands for the Department of Children, Youth and Families. So whatever state you're in, it might be a different acronym, but for us, it's DCYF. So we started building relationship with them to find out what their needs are. And they were like, you know, really the most underserved population are the teens. Everyone gets gifts for the cute little kids, but the teens just kind of go unseen, unnoticed. So we weren't having that. Mm -hmm. So the next year we decided to do a gift card drive. And again, it was just super simple. We would say it in our stage communication and went out in our weekly email. That is pretty much all we did. And thousands of dollars worth of gift cards came in. We had like over $6,000 worth of gift cards. And that was enough to cover every single teenager in the whole King County foster care system. Like the state was floored. I mean, they wrote us a thank you letter. Who does that? Like that, that there is kind of a contentious relationship between the church and then our like government offices here. So the fact that we got a thank you letter. It's a big deal. It was yeah. a huge deal. Yeah. 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 I was, I was so proud of, of you and the, and, and doc, the rest of the docs of families that just stepped up. It was such a sweet spot in our story. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And it kind of became our thing. Like we're doing it again this year, every single year we, we've <laughs> done this. So And it has built a bridge between DOXA and the state office, which is awesome. So, you know, we got the drives under our belt and we still do, we still do drives. Like I said, we're still doing the gift card drive. We've done Thanksgiving baskets, Easter baskets, all the, all the baskets. But then (laughs) we decided. (laughs) Hey, before you go any further, I want to highlight something because I, 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 there's some really good principles here that can be so easily applied. I'll say it again. You, you baby steps. You started Mm -hmm. with small. You made it easy for others to get involved. Mm -hmm. Like it was not hard. You made it super easy for people to just get their toes wet in, in a, in a really, really important, you know, opportunity. That's really, really huge for our state. Third, you actually asked them what they needed. Mm -hmm. You, you let them speak to their, their problem and what would best serve them instead of just assuming you knew the best answer. And I don't know that we would have known the, about teens being overlooked if you weren't inquisitive and curious. So I just, yeah, just encourage listeners, like we've got to be much more humble and enter into spaces without assuming we know what's best. 
Yeah. So, and yeah, I, you, did, sure. you guys did such a great job of that, which is mm -hmm. why I think, I think in such a contentious situation where, as you said, the church isn't always getting along real well with the government here. Yeah. Uh, it brought great favor because of the it posture did. of humility. So yeah, yeah. it's just amazing. So keep going. Yeah. We did these drives and then we decided let's up the ante a little bit because as I'm sure is similar to other contexts of people who are listening to this, certainly the case for us at DOXA is that it is a way bigger ask of time and practical resources than it is money. Like it's easier to write a check than it is to spend relational and time energy into something. So we decided let's, let's challenge ourselves and up the ante a bit and ask people to get their hands dirty. So we hosted something called a parent night out. So we opened the Doxa building. And at the time we were in downtown Bellevue, which is great because you're right by all the shops and restaurants and parents brought their kids and we had a volunteer run Christmas kids camp type of scenario going. It was super fun. And parents got to go out and enjoy a night out on the town. And that went super well. It was, like I said, volunteer run. It was so great. We had so many, we had more volunteers than we needed. And that like mm. never happens for us. So. <laughs> <laughs> So that was really exciting to see people willing to give a Saturday night to something like this. And so we just started opening up opportunities like that, like other little things, like at the DCYF office. Recently, uh, during COVID, they had no more parent visits. Sometimes when a child is put in out-of-home care, they have visits scheduled with their biological parent. And oftentimes that happens at the DCYF office. So that was closed for, it was almost three years and they needed someone to come in and clean them. And so we had a DOXA volunteer go and clean the visitation rooms and get them ready for visits again. So like wow. quite literally getting their hands dirty. So that we built on drives to doing one-off events like that. And then we started something called care communities, which I think- um, yeah, I, yeah, go ahead and share about that. Cause I, I think this is where it, you, it went from a few people getting a large group of people to do something once in a while to yeah. now more and more people doing it on a more regular basis, which again, I just, I don't want to under emphasize the, the little steps leading to much more. And I think sometimes mm -hmm. if people start with what you're about to share, it might be overwhelming. But when you build yeah. a culture of care, which is really what you were doing, you were, you were creating, our church was getting a culture of care in particular for foster children yeah. and families because you guys were building it over time. Like this right. is what, seven years or eight years worth of work when we, right? Nine years, I don't yeah. know how long has it been? We're eight years in, I think. Eight yeah. years in, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, keep going. Yeah, that's a good point because I think people, they want to help, but they don't know how. <laughs> they don't yeah. know what to do. And so what we learned along the way, instead of just saying, hey, everyone get on mission. Hey, everyone serve. That wasn't, an, for some people who are more, you know, apostolic or whatever, maybe that is enough. And they're like, hey, what is it? What am I passionate about? And they'll go figure that out and find something. But what we found to be really helpful was to provide these really specific opportunities, these tangible things of like, okay, here are the three steps you need to do. And then people did them. 
and then they're serving and they're on mission. So um, during during COVID, it became really difficult to to serve in the foster world because like the DCYF offices were shut down. Intake numbers actually plummeted because normally teachers are the first reporters about abuse or neglect. So they, oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a a dark thing to think about. That's really sad. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So we still wanted to help and build on the momentum that we were already building. So we partnered with Olive Crest so Olive Crest, it's a private foster adoption agency. They're in Washington, Nevada, and California. And I mean, there's different versions of that in many different states too. So they partnered with another organization called Promise 686. So that's a national organization and they exist to help vulnerable kids and their families. And they had a program called Care Communities. And so care communities are small groups of 8 to 12 people who provide wraparound support to either foster families or birth families who are struggling or who are going through a trial reunification with their children. And each care community has a team leader, and they're the main liaison between the care community and the foster family and they just get their team organized to provide meals each week to provide child mentorship. So that can look like tutoring, transportation, childcare, whatever. They send out prayer requests, and then they also help provide whatever practical need is needed by the foster family, like yard work, or you know maybe they need baby clothes or whatever. So, so this group, this care community exists to support the foster family with prayer, meals, and any help with the kids. And the success rate of it is pretty amazing. So, you know, like I was saying, we came across so many foster families that felt so alone in their journey. And the statistic is that for 50% of foster families, they do not make it past the first year of fostering because they feel so burnt out and unsupported. Mm. But then when paired with a care community, 80% keep going. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. It's it's had pretty substantial impact. And I mean, but it's so simple. It's like when you're talking about a missional community and a weekly meal, that means anyone in your MC is bringing a meal maybe every once every four to six weeks. Yeah. And like it's that little, yeah. no, it's not much at all. And yet it helps these foster families carry on. And the really cool thing with care communities is that if it's, say, like your missional community that is acting as the care community, you can be paired with a family from the community. So maybe they don't know Jesus, they're not believers, or maybe they're burnt out on church, like whatever their situation might be. So it really is a great missional outreach opportunity. Yeah, and, and what one of the things that you've heard me say plenty of times is that we're called to live a life that demands a gospel explanation. Yeah. And that what you guys are doing is can open so many doors to mm-hmm. to share what God has done for us in Christ because yeah. you're literally just doing the very same things for them that we've received from Jesus yeah. you know i mean it really is that kind of picture so it's beautiful mm-hmm. yeah 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 so it's it's been a really great outreach opportunity for for our groups, I think just in ways that they haven't expected, you know, and now at 
this point, like 40% of our MCs are care communities. So it's wow. just becoming more, more of a norm at DOCSA. It's, it's really exciting. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the narratives of the scriptures is that God's people are meant to be a display of how God, the father is a father to the fatherless mm. and welcomes in, you know, the stranger or the outsider takes an orphan, makes him a child. I mean, all these pictures of all throughout scriptures, what you guys are actually just doing very tangibly. So yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I mean, 40%, that's, that's huge. That's a huge number yeah. uh, in terms of like a percentage of focus. And so clearly mm -hmm. this is very important to Doxa. Uh, and you guys have, I'm sure had many stories that are coming out of that. Would you like to share, can you share some stories? Yes. Uh, maybe some some ways in which the, God has really used this to change lives and yeah. impact people. Yeah, absolutely. So for one of our care communities, their family had a kid who struggled a lot with self-harm. And the parents were just really overextended and felt exhausted alone. And when they were paired with this care community, that really freed them up to invest more in, in their kiddo who was struggling. And this care community has also gone above and beyond. They've been really diligent in pursuing this family socially. They have get-togethers. They do all kinds of fun activities with the kids uh, to make them feel seen and important and special. And since being paired up, and it's been over a year, this this child hasn't had a single self-harm episode at all. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's so encouraging. Yeah. And we have another care community. They had a real tumultuous uh, well, tumultuous four years. This little this little girl, her situation was that her biological mom passed away. Uh, her dad was deported, and so she was placed into foster care. Now, there were some birth families, because like really the goal in foster care is reunification. And if, it, if it's not going to work out with the birth parents, then ideally you're, you get to stay in your family of origin, because it's just, you know, it's just beneficial to, to stay within your family and, and build those bonds. But in this little girl situation, there just was not a safe option, um, but the the state didn't necessarily see it that way. So there was just a lot of just a lot of uncertainty and and trauma around this whole situation. So add to that, the foster mom was diagnosed with cancer. So now caring, wow. she's a foster mom, she's a bio mom and has to go for chemo and ra radiation and was just completely physically, emotionally exhausted. And this care community, and it's kind of cool, it's actually two missional communities that have banded together to serve this family. They would bring this family meals twice a week. Actually, I believe they're still bringing meals twice a week. And they do so many fun things. They do like ladies nights with a the mom. They do all family get togethers. The, the, all the dads will do like poker nights with, with the dad. And so they've just, you know, this family's going through a lot. They don't have their own church community around them, supporting them. So like our, our two MCs are being the church to this family and have, they've just loved them so well. Oh, yeah. You know, in a in a in a, a day when fewer people are 
attending a church gathering, which is becoming more and more normal. Um, the church ha- has to keep finding ways to bring the church to to the, the, the people, right? And that's really what you guys are doing is you are you are bringing the tangible expression of Jesus. Uh, in a sense, these people are don't have to go anywhere to go to church because the church is going to them. Yeah. So it's really mm-hmm. cool. Very cool. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you've seen uh, a lot. I, I would love to hear how this has changed you, your perspective, mm-hmm. you know, of the gospel, of God, of whatever. Like, how has it affected you? And 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 maybe how has it affected others that you've been, you know, gotten you've gotten to be kind of a front row of yeah. audience to? Yeah, there's been a lot of change on many levels. So I I'll start with Doxa as a whole. And I just, I see our people care more. They, they hear of a need and they step up to help. And I think part of that is they see families within their own church pursue foster care. And so that makes them feel closer to the issue too. So we have this informal, unofficial docs and needs Facebook group. So if someone has like some random need that comes up, they'll post and you know, maybe someone responds or, or whatever. And there was this one time I, I got a message from my contact at the DCYF office. And she was like, hey, we're really, we need some duffel bags because right now we have a lot of teens in the system and they're moving from house to house with garbage bags. And so I was like, I am on it. So I just posted onto our docs and needs group that like, hey, we we need some duffel bags. Here's the situation. And I had like 20 new bags come in the next day. And I was just like, do you guys just have these lying around? Like these brand new duffel bags? But, you know, and it, it seems small, but like they care. Yeah. They hear these things. And it's like you're talking, you are talking about a child in their community made in the image of God. And it just, if I think it feels real and close to them because they see, they hear about it. Like this is part of the culture and the DNA of Doxa now. Like we care about foster kids. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah. So that's, that's been a cool thing to see like on with Doxa as a whole on a more individual level. Um, in my MC, we had, I got his permission to share this. Um, but we had this guy join us. Uh, it was just a few months, I guess, before COVID hit. And he was not a believer. He was very cynical about the church. And honestly, the only reason he came to MC at all was because his wife dragged him there. But sure enough, in God's faithfulness, after weeks and months and lots of work uh, of the Holy Spirit in his heart, he, this guy became a Christian. Mm. And after that, he was like, all right, well, now what? Like he wanted to grow in leading his family. He wanted to grow in serving and in prayer. And so when I floated the idea to my MC about becoming a care community, he stepped into the role of team leader. Oh, which wow. is just, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's still a little cynical and a bit of a crutch, but that's, <laughs> that's one of the, but it's in a redeemed way now. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah. 
So it was, I think that's one of the cool things about having MC serve in this capacity together because you get a front row seat to one another's personal discipleship and you get to see one another step into your unique gifting. Even if, you know, like we were talking about, about before, if you don't necessarily feel like you want to do it, but you're just taking a step in faithfulness and we get to see that and celebrate that with one another. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, I, I love I love that uh, the opportunity for a brand new follower of Jesus to step into a space where he's gonna. I mean, you you know how that works. You grow so much yeah. when you start giving away and you start serving others. And you you even take leadership to help others serve others. I mean, that's beautiful. So yeah. cool. Yeah, it it was cool. I'm. It, it, it's just these unexpected ways that the Lord shows up and blesses you and. It's enough to serve in the foster care realm, but then there are just so many other ways that you get to see God at work. You know, one of the things I've loved about uh, watching the work you've done over the years is that I've been in situations where some people are like, if you don't do foster care, there's something wrong with you because this is like, you know what, this is God's heart. And so why wouldn't you do it? And 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 that's one, that's just using guilt and shame uh, to motivate people, which is not helpful. But then second, there's a lot of people they're just not wired for this and they're not mm-hmm. called to it and it's not it's not what God's told them to do but what I love that you did is you you never did either one of those things you never tried to get people to step into space that they're not called to nor did you use guilt or shame to get them there uh, it was always very invitational and mm-hmm. encouraging and like we've already talked about giving people small steps but the other thing I loved is that you provided ways for people who aren't specifically called to foster care to still be a part of serving mm-hmm. in some way or another where that they could actually tangibly uh, bring the good news of Jesus in that way. And I, I think a lot of times we, we are, we're calling people to something they're not called to instead of giving them opportunities to step into something that just gives them a taste or gives them an opportunity to serve. And you, right. you guys did such a good job of that. Like it, at every level, someone could be involved. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I really, that was one thing I, Stepping back, I, I would love for churches and, and leaders to think more about how can we make it easy for people to serve others? How can we make it easy for people to engage in mission? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, you know, like can expect too much, you know, and what I love is that you you gave people what they they could start with and then yeah. you let it grow. And it intent, it, it does. It Almost inevitably, it always gets bigger because their hearts grow bigger yeah. as they start to give their lives away. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's an important thing to remember because, I mean, believe me, I can get very self-righteous about this. I am not beyond that. I may not be like externally using the guilt and shame tactics, but I do struggle with it. I'm like, come on, everyone just be more like me. But that's where you get... <laughs> in trouble, right? Because you want them to be like Jesus. That's and right. Jesus is not necessarily calling every single person at Doxa to bring a foster child into their home. He has something else for them. And like, yeah, who am I to to judge that or to, you know, try to get in the way of Jesus's plan for them? Yeah. So yeah, we yeah. just intentionally tried to leave it open with the point that like everyone can do something. I mean, God's not calling you to do nothing, right? right? So like, it's just on us to share what are those different opportunities. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you said this or someone said this one time when we were at, when we were talking about the work, but I, I you kind of said it just there and I'm going to say it in, in the way that I remember hearing it, which is 
nobody's called to do everything, but everybody's called to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think when everyone knows they're called to do something, the the load is light. But mm-hmm. when when a few people think they have to do everything, then the load is way too much. Yeah. And and I that's one thing that you guys have grown our grown Doxa in is everybody can do something and let's yeah. call everybody to do something. And then the other thing you said it earlier, and I want to restate it. Not many people can figure out mission like, hey, your mission community, just kind of figure it out. And you, you, you made the statement that some are more apostolically gifted or entrepreneurial is another way to think mm-hmm. about it. like they can think of what doesn't exist or they can step into a new space and create something. But most people can't. And so yeah. what what you did so well is you said, hey, why don't we just give people a couple options and let the mission communities decide what would be something they could engage in that fits who they are. Right. And for a lot of people, a lot of groups are stuck. A lot of people, small group or national community around the country, they're stuck in maybe just doing a Bible study or just doing a weekly meal. They haven't gotten out of themselves to, to serve or engage in people who aren't a part of the church. And sometimes leadership needs to create bridges, which mm-hmm. is what you guys did. You created a bridge, an easy way for people to get there. So yeah. 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 In light of that, I'm curious, um, what else would what else would you share uh, around the idea of helping people get mobilized mm-hmm. to serve others in their context? Like we've given a couple principles, like give them small steps, make it easy for them to start. Like anything else that you thought you've been thinking of as someone who's leading the church, mm-hmm. you know, you're leading missional communities and and how to do this. What are some things you've learned that have helped people get mobilized to serve? I think, and this is just from my personal experience of like being invited into this at DOXA is just like, pay attention to who, who you have out there that, that cares about this. We also did these um, kind of lunch and learn things where we invited experts to share more about foster care and different ways of getting involved. And so you could sign up to to show up at that. And so just like paying attention to, okay, who's showing up to the lunch and learn? Oh, who's, who's participating in these different drives and who's also getting their hands dirty with these one-off opportunities, like parent night outs and, and stuff like that. So I think just opening your eyes to who is already there and inviting them in uh, mm. to provide input or ideas or whatever is just really, really valuable. And like, that was my experience at Doxa. That's how I got involved in, that's how I got on staff, actually. (laughs) (laughs) It started with me going to Tim, he's our executive pastor, and saying, hey, I'd love to see Doxa do something around Stand Sunday. Stand Sunday is the national event in November where churches across the country take a stand for kids in foster care. It's a great awareness building, mobilizing kind of event that you can do. So uh, I suggested that to Tim and he was totally receptive to that. And not only was he receptive to that, but he also knew that the stand study wasn't going to just happen. So he walked me through what resources that DOXA could offer and what staff energy could be contributed, um, how much stage time it could get. And I mean, to my amazement, like, cause you were an elder at that time too, Jeff, yeah, it yeah. was, you guys just saw that there was some passion within your congregation. And then you got, you even weaved an adoption message throughout an Advent series one year, yeah. which was yeah. just like amazing. And I mean, of course you don't, 
if you're listening to this, you don't have to do that. You don't have to devote a whole like sermon series to it. But my point is just that you, Tim, and our other elders saw that there was a member who cared about something. And it was like, you guys jumped at the opportunity to support and rally and encourage it. So it was less about like, hey, this like foster care is something our staff team needs to fix and more about, Hey, let's identify and equip the saints who want to pursue this cause. Mm. You know, if you have a member who cares about something and has some energy around that, I would just say, pay attention to that. You know, and they may not be the most polished and experienced person in executing it, but like at least they're willing to do something and that is worth investing in. I'm so glad you shared that. Uh, I mean, I just, you you know this, but for those listening, we would regularly say the staff's job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry or to administer so more ministry could happen. Mm-hmm. So, and Tim did a great job of just coming around that and then helping yeah. us all rally around it. And mm-hmm. I, I do want, especially leaders, to hear that all all that you need to serve your city well is already given to you in, in the people God's given you to shepherd and lead, and the job. Uh, that you have is to help them discover God's unique calling on their life, support them, encourage them, build them up, give them opportunity. Because uh, ultimately, they're the church. You aren't. You're, yeah. you're one member of many, and God's goal is to see every member mobilized. And you, what's beautiful watching your life, Allison, is that you went from there to leading many, many people now to do it. Like you, you're basically taking what you got to experience in how Tim and others stewarded your heart, your passion, and now you're helping others do the same in, in the church. And, and now you're even speaking about it so that the big C church gets to be encouraged and built up. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. And you've always been such an encourager and supporter of me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was just incredibly blessed to have these elders who really took that seriously, the equipping of the saints mm-hmm. and and gave me the the ability to do so. So yeah, and now you're doing it. So no. well done. <laughs> yeah. So as we close, if there's anything else you'd want to say, just to encourage our listeners in their own context, what would you want to tell them? Let's see. I, there are three things that come to mind, and we covered one of them, which is start small. Don't get so inundated with the gigantic, enormous problem that is foster care. Start small and celebrate that. I think that's. Mm-hmm. That's another part of it. Like start small, but also pause and celebrate the little successes, no matter how big or or small it is. Every step of faithfulness is is worth celebrating. Um, so that's one thing. Start small. Also partner externally. There, especially in the foster care world, there is no need to reinvent the wheel or try to go it alone in fixing the problem. There are so many wonderful organizations out there, both local and national, who are looking to partner with churches. Um, So our region in the Puget Sound, we have something called the Foster Support Faith Alliance, and that's a network of churches and faith organizations that we collaborate. We meet every month and we share ideas and we help one another to serve birth families, foster families, and the state, the DCYF offices that are all involved in foster care. 
Um, so that's just been like a really cool big C church moment for us or opportunity for us. And so that exists here in Washington, but I know that those similar organizations are out there as well. So you can just like Google it or whatever, or Bing it. My husband works for Microsoft, so um, you got to throw that in. That's right. Yeah, I don't think he even bings, but that's okay. I Google. I'm a Googler, so yeah, you can just like see what is out there, what already exists. So partner externally with with organizations that are desperate for churches to step up and help. Um, and then this is just and we covered this as well, partnering internally, um, because yeah, this can't be on your whole staff to carry. Um, sometimes it starts with maybe a staff member or a staff pastor who has a passion and, and wants to build awareness. But yeah, you'll you will find out as you re- repeatedly do different foster care initiatives, you're going to find out which of your members care about this and invite them in, get their ideas, give them responsibilities, and then support them and celebrate them. Um, help them get communication channels to get the word out and give them resources to make it happen. And so, yeah, those are pretty simple things. Start small, partner externally, and partner internally. So good. Oh, man. I am so thankful that you made time to be on this with me. I knew it would be really good. I knew there would be at least at least three, if not 10, I, good ideas that people could walk <laughs> away with. I think we collect closer to 10. So um, yeah. I think it's going to be really helpful. So, Allison, thank you so much for making thank the time. You. Thank you so much for inviting me, Jeff. I really appreciate it. It's, yeah, yeah, it's fun to like look back and and to celebrate this, you know, and to know that other churches out there are also wanting to to partner in this and and take next steps, whether that's foster care or something totally different. It's exciting. I love the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. And I don't want people to miss out. You, You said it twice there. Celebrate, like stop and celebrate every step. And I mean, it's one of the one of the reasons why we lose hope or why we end up being more skeptical or cynical is that we forget to to be thankful. And yeah. gratitude is such a such a great way to speak against hopelessness and to put you know put away the skepticism or negativity because mm-hmm. we have so much to be thankful for. So I'm Amen. thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. Thank you Thanks so much, so much, Jeff. Yeah, mm-hmm. you too, Allison. Hey, if you want to hear more of these kinds of podcasts or get more resources, or you know of a church leader who would benefit from this, please share uh, with others. Also, if you are looking for opportunities to get more training or more resources, uh, become a Saturate member because you can get tons of video content, lots of downloadables that you can use in your own context that will help train other people in not only things like this, but many more things as well. So encourage you to do that. And then lastly, if this has been a benefit to you and you would like to help us spread the word more, please uh, give to support the work of Saturate because we are increasingly growing the listener base and the needs are big. In fact, we're trying to, to now help Tokyo start some significant works for their whole city. And so uh, that's just one of many uh, needs that we have in front of us. So if this would be something you would love more to to get exposure to, please help us. Uh, you can just give by going to saturatetheworld.com and that would be a great blessing to us. Again, thanks for listening. And Allison, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs>